So our Dharma practice is a practice, our meditation practice is a practice of learning to be in tune. This is something that we talked about a lot, or I talked about a lot uh, during our retreat. Our practice is a practice of learning to be in tune, being in tune with our lives, being in tune with the heart, with the Dharma inside. The Dharma is found inside of ourselves. That's where we find the Dharma, inside of ourselves. Uh, it's a practice of being in rhythm, being in rhythm. I spoke about this a lot uh, over the last week on our retreat, and you know, it's interesting because I hadn't really planned on speaking about it, uh, but uh, uh, as, uh, as I uh, spent time with the yogis uh, at the retreat center, the Powell House Retreat Center, uh, it was so much of a uh, uh, awakening experience to see uh, these beings coming into rhythm, coming into rhythm. Uh, where, you know, we may have come to the retreat and uh, quite out of rhythm, out of tune, and seeing how the practice of meditation, intensive meditation, was a practice by which we uh, were able to begin to come back into rhythm and, and really come quite into rhythm and profoundly into rhythm, rhythm in rhythm with the heart and the Dharma inside. So, of course, as a teacher, seeing that, uh, you know, my job is to, to support and shepherd uh, the yogis through that process. So, uh, ended up spending a lot of time talking about it and kind of became the theme of the retreat, even though I hadn't really thought about it beforehand. But such a profound experience to see beings uh, coming into tune with the heart. So, uh, you know, it's a good way to think about our practice, a practice of coming into tune and staying in tune. Uh, and, you know, we do this in our practice uh, first by coming into the body. Coming into the body uh, uh, is how we uh, get ourselves in tune. So, and the Buddha, of course, spoke to this very explicitly that if we want to awaken, we have to develop mindfulness of the body. So we often say it's a practice of coming out of the head. When we're in the head, that's what puts us out of tune, out of rhythm. It's a practice of coming into the body, mindfulness of the body, practicing mindfulness, developing mindfulness of the body. Uh, and from there, having uh, a felt sense of our experience, our experience of life. So, uh, you know, what we strive for as meditation students, as Dharma students, is to move away from our experience of life or relating to our experience of life so much by thinking about it and by having emotional responses to it. Our tendency is to uh, relate to our experience of life by thinking about our life, uh, our experiences, uh, 
but also just our process in being in this life and what it is that we need to do to make the most of our lives. Uh, we tend to, that tends to be a, a thinking process for most of us. Uh, as a Dharma student, uh, it becomes more of a, uh, an in-the-body experience, a felt experience, and less of a process by which we're thinking about our experience or having an academic experience of life. So, as an example, we could use uh, uh, as this little piece of our lives this, this Sunday group, uh, which many of you have been to uh, over a period of time. Uh, I think everybody's been here at least more than once. Just before the retreat, uh, on the Sunday before the retreat, uh, many of you were there. I, I mentioned and spoke a little bit about the fact that uh, we, had, we were celebrating the, the third year anniversary of this group. The group had been meeting for three years. Uh, today is really kind of the beginning of the fourth year, if you will of this, uh, this Sunday online group. Uh, everybody has an experience of this group, uh, or everybody has an experience, let's say, of this meeting that we're having today on the 23rd of April, 2023. Uh, right now, as I'm talking, and you, you're seeing all these other beings who are here, uh, of course, our experience of being here uh, in this virtual world uh, uh, is uh, an experience that uh, is informed by all the other times we are, have been here. So uh, it feels differently than the first time you were here and the second time and the third time and the last time you were here. And we have a felt experience that includes uh, our uh, in the body and in the heart memory of all the other times we were here, all the other times we were in Dharma classes, all the other times you heard me speak, right? It's not like, oh, this is the first time I ever heard this person speak. Some of you have heard me speak many, many, many times for many, many, many years. And the experience that you're having now is is uh, informed by all those other times. This is what we call having a felt sense. Uh, this felt sense of being here isn't something that we can understand intellectually or academically. Try to describe it. Try to describe it. Try to describe it to a friend tomorrow. Uh, you know, you can describe little aspects of it, but, you know, truly being able to describe the experience isn't something that you can do using words. It transcends an intellectual understanding. I always like to use the uh, uh, comparison of try to describe music or try to describe a piece of art. You can't, something that you can't describe. It's something that you have a felt experience of. So, you know, as Dharma students, we're learning to be in tune with this felt experience of life. I think I was talking about this a little while ago, part of your felt experience, and uh, I was talking about Rumi's poem, uh, Where Everything is Music, I think is the title. And we come into this place where everything is music. You know, we're out of the head and we're just in rhythm 
Life is a process of being in rhythm, in rhythm. So in this practice, we're in rhythm by coming into the body and being in tune with the body and of course, tuning the body so the body's in rhythm. That's why you know, we do what we do in terms of the easeful breath and the easeful abiding in the body and the flow of energy, what we just did, which may seem uh, you know, prosaic, but we're bringing the body into, into an experience of flow, of energy, being in tune. The more we're able to be in tune with the body, the more we're able to be in tune with the heart. So when the awareness is pure and it just rests in the body, in other words, you know, the difference of pure awareness, you know, pure awareness is awareness that's in, on the object, the breath, the body, unafflicted by thinking about the breath and the body, or summer, you know, what you're going to do on your vacation and so forth. So when our awareness is in the body, and the body is in tune, we're able to be in tune with the heart. So our practice is coming out of the head, to the body, to the heart. So the heart is this place of innate wisdom. And this is our, our, what we're striving for as meditation students is to, is to be in tune with our innate wisdom, which far transcends, this is transcendent or liberating wisdom, it far transcends, surpasses intellectual understanding of life. We want to have uh, uh, a true, you know, understanding of life. Uh, uh, and our true understanding of life, our life, is found in the heart, is found in the heart. Uh, you know, in the heart we find what the Thai Ajans call the knowing quality, the knowing quality. So we have an innate wisdom in the heart that understands our experience of life, understands our experience of life, and our innate wisdom keeps us in tune, keeps us in tune. It's like, it's like the best thermostat there is. So when we're in the heart, we're and in tune, we experience happiness, happiness of heart. You know, this happiness is not dependent on anything. Our innate wisdom has the ability to keep us in tune regardless of what the circumstances are in life. So even when we're ill and aging and dying and going through difficulty and we're going through the vicissitudes of life and the separations and dissolutions of life, uh, if we can stay in the body and in the heart, we can be in tune and know happiness of heart. This happiness uh, that we know when we're in tune is not dependent on anything. You know, we have the capacity to stay in tune regardless of what the circumstances of life are. This is what we're training for. This is what we're training for. How often do people say to me, I'm going through this difficulty in life or I've gone through this difficulty and you know, now I'm really using my Dharma practice. You know? We're training ourselves to be in tune. You know, not, not just when there's difficulty, but let's face it, there's a fair amount of difficulty in life and, and life is this process of incredible change from day to day, from moment to moment. And we learn to be in tune with the process of life. 
So this effort that we make to stay in tune, the actions that we take in the service of staying in tune is love. What would it be like if all beings were in tune? What would it be like if all beings were in tune and in rhythm? You know, this is our wish for all beings, that all beings be in tune and in rhythm with their experience of life, that all beings be happy of heart. Now the mind, of course, is what puts us out of tune. You know, to be clear, the mind is what puts us out of tune. You know, the mind that wants what it doesn't have and doesn't want what it has that it doesn't want, right? The mind that clings to the various emotions that arise. The mind that wanders, you know, into the deep forests of thought worlds. The untrained mind is what puts us out of tune. The teachings are very clear about that. It's not the job or the relationship, you know, it's the mind. We can be in tune regardless of what the job is in the relationship. You know, uh, it helps a hell of a lot if you have a jobs and relationships that are in support of the heart. Uh, needless to say, but we're still going to experience difficulty in life. And when we do, when we go through the experience, just the experience, the day-to-day -day experience of life is an experience of change, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, unless we relate to life, even the good stuff, right? We, you know, the good stuff can cause us as much suffering as, 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 as the bad stuff, you know, because it's the mind. You know, it's the mind, the untrained mind puts us out of tune. So that's, as we like to say, the bad news, the good news is the mind, when trained, is what leads us to the body and leads us to the heart. You know, so that's the real paradox, the real paradox of the thinking mind. You know, the mind, as the Buddha said, is the forerunner of all things. Nothing causes us more suffering than the untrained mind. Nothing causes us greater happiness than the mind that's trained. So this is why we practice meditation. This is why we practice meditation, to train the mind and to come in tune, to come in tune. It was such a profound experience you know, on the retreat you know, to see beings coming into tune. So the practice of meditation leads us to the body and leads us to the heart. Sometimes we like to think of, you know, our practice really is a practice of allowing, allowing, like we're not really, you know, making things happen, right? We're allowing the heart to keep us in tune and to show us what it is that we need to do. But, you know, there's this process, this, this, this important element of the process, which is allowing the heart. You know, when we're not allowing the heart to keep us in tune, you know, Essentially, what we're doing is trying to figure things out for ourselves by using the thinking mind. The last day of retreat, uh, which was Friday, uh, it's very interesting to see uh, how the heart keeps us in rhythm. 
you know, and again, from the perspective of the teacher, but also from my own practice, you know, because I'm practicing to some extent along with the yogis on retreat, uh, you know, we see how, you know, this process that the heart is uh, uh, so uh, adept at of keeping us in tune. Uh, so, you know, we spend this time on a long retreat developing very deep concentration, very deep concentration. Uh, and now, uh, the heart, the citta, our innate wisdom on the last day of the retreat leads us to softening the concentration, you know, guides us to a softening of the concentration, uh, a subtle or perhaps not so subtle lessening of the concentration. And what the heart, of course, in its wisdom is doing is keeping us in tune with life, keeping us in rhythm, because now we're going out there into the world. And when we go out there into the world, too much concentration is a hindrance. Too much concentration is a hindrance to mindfulness and alertness. We need to be alert to the cars going down the street. You know? uh, we need to be alert to when when our friends or partner says something to us that we might find a little grating, you know? Uh, if we have too much concentration, uh, an emotion might arise or we might not have the awareness that we need when we're out there in the world. So we need more mindfulness and a little bit less concentration. So the heart guides us, and that's a te you know, technical uh, piece, uh, but the heart guides us to a softening of concentration heart is guiding us to what's in our best interests, to happiness. So sometimes, as yogis, on the last day or so of a retreat, we start to get a little frustrated because the concentration is softening. Even though we're meditating, even though we're putting aside thoughts of going home, the concentration is still softening. It's so interesting to see. It's softening and softening. And I've seen myself in that situation, you know, trying too hard to maintain the level of concentration and pushing pushing, you know, it's that wanting mind, and it starts to create dissonance, and we start to get a little out of tune. So as yogis over time, and I'm using this sort of as a, you know, as, as an example, uh, but also as a reminder to the yogis here who are on the retreat, which is several of us, uh, you know, that our, our task is to uh, allow our innate wisdom to guide us. Our innate wisdom is guiding us to soften the concentration. So we allow that. We learn to be in tune with the heart. We learn to stay in rhythm. We learn to stay close to the heart. When we do, there's happiness of heart. So our experience of life is uh, in a state of constant change, constant change. This is the nature of human experience. Anicca uh, Vata Sankara. All conditioned experience is in a state of change. The heart understands this completely. The heart understands this completely. The mind doesn't like it one bit, right? Uh, the heart understands this completely and keeps us in rhythm, keeps us in rhythm with the change, the flow of life, if we allow it, if we allow it. When we can learn to be in tune with the heart, we can be in tune with the truth of life. We stay in rhythm, and there's happiness. Life is in a 
process of constant change and we go through different experiences of life uh, where we, uh, where we uh, know more profound change, things like sickness, aging, and death. Uh, one of the early experiences in my life of, of, of profound change is one that I think a lot of people uh, might uh, remember uh, as being uh, uh, you know, one of these times in life and maybe one of the first times in life when we experience change uh, and the truth of impermanence and the, the rhythm of life was, uh, was uh, when I uh, graduated high school, you know, uh, the last days of high school, I remember, uh, you know, it was that such a profound felt sense, right? a felt sense of going through a period of change like you know I had really never gone through you know it's a sometimes the term we use is a rite of passage you know uh, you know and this experience that I had you know that I felt very profoundly was you know I mean there were beings there that uh, you know 12th grade you know in the US is the last year of high school and you know there were beings that I had been in kindergarten with, you know, so for 13 years I knew these beings and every day other than the summer vacations I was with these beings and, you know, they were part of my life, you know, and of course you're 18 years old, I was 18 when I graduated, that was most of my life I had spent with these beings in this intimate process, you know, and that was changing, you know, and many of these beings I would never see again and I knew that in the heart. And it's, it was true, you know, there were beings like after the last graduation, you know, I threw my cap in the air and I never saw so many of these beings that I had spent so many days with together and went through this, this profound experience of life with, you know, and there was this experience of moving into a new life and this world of, of change, which is, which is joyful because change indicates possibility. So there was this experience of this endless possibility that lay in the future. And some of the great novels describe this, if I, if I call back on my English major years, the Bildungsroman, you know, the coming of age story. You know, this felt sense is captured in those, those stories. One of my favorites is uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's This Side of Paradise. For my favorite, F. Scott Fitzgerald, book if I might uh, assert my English major's prejudices. Uh, and then of course James Joyce, you know, the portrait of an artist as a young man, a portrait of an artist as a young man, where, where Joyce describes his coming of age, those beautiful final passages from, uh, if you'll indulge me again in my, as I take up my English major's mantle. Joyce sets out into life as a young man. April 16th, away, away, the spell of arms and voices, the white arms of roads, their promise of close embraces, and the black arms of tall ships that stand against the moon, their tale of distant nations. They are held out to say, we are alone, come, and the voices say with them, we are your kinsmen, and the air is thick with their company. 
perfect description of a felt sense, and the air is thick with their company as they call to me, their kinsmen, making ready to go, shaking the wings of their exultant and terrible youth. April 26th, mother is putting my new second-hand clothes in order. She prays now, she says, that I may learn in my own life and away from home and friends what the heart is and what it feels. Amen. So be it. Welcome, O life, I go to encounter for the millionth time the reality of experience and to forge in the smithy of my soul the uncreated conscience of my race. April 27th, old father, old artificer, stand me now and ever in good stead. So when we're in tune with the heart, with our innate wisdom, with the love that's in the heart, you know, when we are in rhythm with the experience of life, we're able to shape an experience of life that's in tune with the heart. We're able to shape an experience of life that inclines to true happiness. So change, when understood and opened to and allowed, when we allow the heart to keep us in rhythm is joyful. We're in tune, we're in tune. Our experience of life is imbued with a sense of possibility. So this year, now, uh, in 2023, uh, marks 50 years since I graduated high school. That's my 50 year high school anniversary. So there's this, this sense of that, there's this sense of that, this felt sense of that, uh, the understanding in the body on a felt level of the passing of time, the passing of life. You know, then there's this you know, understanding in the heart. You know, this heart understands the truth of impermanence, the rhythm of life transcends thinking about it. Thinking about it conduces to nostalgia, romance, grief, regret, a myriad of unskillful fabrications and, and, and not particularly useful emotions. What we're asked to do in meeting these experiences of life is to be in tune with the heart and to meet the experience of life with love. When we're in tune, we're here with an open heart. We're right here with an open heart. And there's happiness of heart. There's joy. And there's gratitude. There's gratitude for the goodness of life and the goodness of the beings that we have known. And this is one of the things that uh, I felt really strongly over the last week uh, was the goodness, in particular, of my teachers. You know, and of course, you know, I'm talking about the Dharma and you know, so many things came up for me in terms of uh, what I learned from my teachers, everything I learned about the Dharma, I learned from my teachers. Uh, and, and just thinking about what they had taught me on retreats as I was teaching this retreat uh, just led to such feelings of gratitude for them and such joy for having these beings in my life. You know, and all the beings that I've had in my life. Uh, uh, so many blessings and so many beings to be grateful for. And then on Friday evening and yesterday, Saturday, 
you know, returning after eight days uh, on retreat, coming back to uh, the city, and the apartment where I live, I'm living in Queens, and, uh, you know, uh, when I left eight days ago, you know, the trees were, uh, some of them had a few leaves on them, a couple of them were budding, a lot of them were still bare, and we came back, the trees, you know, for the most part were filled with leaves, filled with new green leaves. So another experience, profound experience of change that we see in the change of seasons. As the season moved into spring and the leaves filled the trees. Uh, so, of course, after the retreat, even though I'm teaching the retreat, I'm still sitting a lot, you know, more in the body, more in the body, closer to the heart. We meditate so that we can be closer to the heart and tune in, the, in tune with the heart. So coming home and, you know, seeing the spring, having come to New York, uh, such a felt sense of that, felt sense of spring. And of course, you know, the felt sense of spring that we might have or any of the seasons is informed by all the springs I've known in this life. It's not the first time I've seen the spring. So the felt sense I have the spring, of the spring, just like the felt sense we might have of this class, is informed by all the springs I've known in this life. This is my 69th spring. My 69th spring. So this understanding in the heart when we connect to that felt sense of the rhythm of life and the truth of change. I've seen 69 springs. And part of that truth, of course, is there may not be that many springs left. There aren't going to be that many springs left. Only a limited number of springs left that I'll experience in this life. How many will I know? How many more springs? How many more summers? So that understanding is an understanding that you know, in our practice, you know, we know in the heart, in the heart, something the mind can't really quite understand and doesn't want to understand. Let's face it, you know, the heart understands that. In one of the Buddha's teachings, uh, he gives a number of metaphors to describe the brevity of life. Uh, one of the metaphors is just as a dewdrop on the tip of a blast of blade of grass quickly vanishes with the rising of the sun and does not stay long. In the same way, the life of a human being is like a dewdrop. It seemed like just yesterday it was, you know, I was going to my high school graduation and it's 50 years later and I've seen 69 springs. In that particular sutta, which I'll put in the notes, uh, the Buddha illustrates uh, the brevity of life and how we might consider it by saying, think about if you lived to be a hundred years, which would be pretty good, you know, you'd, you'd how many seasons, which, you know, there'd be a hundred of each of the seasons. You know, think about how many months there would be, how many days, how many meals you would eat. We used to use this teaching, some of you may have been in some of the courses where I said, I think the Buddha was being optimistic. I'd say, Let's think, let's imagine you live to be 90, you know, and compute 
how many more years you might have if you live to be 90. And maybe at the time when I did that, I was 50, you know, 40 more years left, or however old you were, how many more years would you have left? And I would give this as a homework assignment, you know, go home. In those days, it was a calculator. I don't know what it is. People still use calculators. You know, I haven't done that activity in a while. Go home, compute. If you live to, a 90, to be 90, and I had a whole list, how many more years would you live? How many more springs? How many more summers, winters, autumns? How many more months? How many more weeks? How many more days? How many more hours? How many more breaths? How many more breaths? And I would tell people, you know, count how many breaths you take in a minute and get on your calculator and figure out how many more you have left. When you do that, it's like, wow, there's not that many left. It's so precious. So I, as I looked at those trees filled with leaves in spring, you know, you know the sense was how many more springs? coming home from the retreat. How many more retreats? How many more retreats will I teach? How many more retreats will I teach? So our practice is a practice of being in the body with what's inside, what's inside, uh, to be in the heart. You know, the Dhamma, in Dhamma practice we come inside uh, we come to the heart and the Dhamma inside. The Dhamma is inside. The Dhamma is inside. Our practice is to be in tune with the Dhamma inside, in tune with the rhythm of our lives. You know, if we can be in tune with the heart, you know, we can shape our life in tune with the heart, you know, in tune with our innate wisdom, which indicates to us what it is that we need to do to be happy. And we live our lives in the service of that wish. This wish that we have to be happy. We live our lives uh, as an expression of love for ourselves and all beings. When we do this, there's happiness.